0: Morning. Well, there was a story of a a young gal that was heading off to college, and uh, her her father was giving her final instructions. She was taking the family car, one of the old junkie family cars, and she was driving off hundreds of miles away to college, and the father was giving her some last-minute instructions, and he opened up the trunk and he showed his daughter in the back of the trunk there were soda bottles, soda bottles, Filled with oil, coolant, transmission fluid, on and on, and he pulled the daughter aside and began to show her a little bit about which fluid was was where, and as usual, the daughter wasn't paying much attention. Well, sure enough, sure enough, on the way down to college, the car overheated, and the daughter went to the back of the car and opened the trunk and looked at the soda bottles filled with various engine fluids. And she began to scold herself. She began to think, why, oh why, did I not listen more carefully to my father's instructions? In desperation, she stopped looking in the trunk and she walked out to the front hood and she opened the hood and suddenly she started laughing. Because, you see, as she opened the hood and took a look at the engine she saw a few things that reminded her of her dad. The oil cap was labeled Dr. Pepper. The transmission (laughs) stick was labeled Coke. And the empty coolant container, Diet Pepsi. Dad knew she wasn't listening all along. You know, folks, dads are always looking out for us, aren't they? Dads are always looking out for us. They're always looking out for their families. I mean, some of us... Some of us have had wonderful dads. Others of us, you know, sometimes our dads weren't all that we hoped they would be. But one thing is pretty sure about a dad. He's a protector. He's a man who wants to protect his family, who wants to defend them, who wants to guard them. And as he sends his daughter off to college, he's going to label the engine fluids, Coke, Diet Pepsi, and Dr. Pepper. Dads watch out for their families. And so also... The Bible speaks of men, elders in particular, who are called to watch out for the church, to protect the people of the church. Uh, Our elder retreat uh, last spring, uh, some time ago now, uh, this topic that I'm about to preach on uh, very much took center stage in our discussions. And beginning today, along with the next two Sundays, you'll see it there on your outline, I'm showing you now the topics that we'll be covering in these next... Uh, Three Sundays beginning today. The topic of today uh, is the task of an elder and subsequently of a father. The the title of this message is The Shepherd's Calling to Protect and to Nourish. And following that, we'll look at the kind of the purpose of the church. And following that, on our 45th anniversary, we'll be revealing a new vision statement, a new mission for Coast Bible Church. And I hope you'll all be there uh, to hear it. But this topic today, the task of an elder, is something that really took center stage uh, as the elders and I discussed uh, this matter on retreat last spring. And I wanted to share it with you. So once again, the title of this message is The Shepherd's Calling to Protect and to Nourish. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And as you're turning there, know this. that. In Acts 20, you're basically walking into the very midpoint of the Apostle Paul's ministry. The very midpoint. Most people think it's at the very end, because he seems to be suggesting that he might die. And in fact, Paul was very much worried about being arrested, being imprisoned, and being executed for his faith. He was very much concerned about that. But in Acts 20, we're about the year 56 AD, and it turns out Paul probably lived upwards of a decade beyond this point in time. Nevertheless, the environment of Paul's ministry was about to change. He didn't know how much more time he had. And he had been a free man traveling all around the ancient Near East and Asia Minor, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he knew in 56 A.D., as he met with the elders in a city called Ephesus, he knew that he may not have much time left. And he knew his environment was about to change. He would go from a free man to one who was going to be facing arrest and imprisonment. He would go from a free man to one who could potentially be facing execution for his faith. And knowing full well the trials that awaited him, Paul traveled to Ephesus to meet with a group of elders, a much beloved group of elders. And this is what he says to him. We're picking it up midway through the conversation, beginning in verse 28. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. Paul speaking and he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Here we have Paul picking up the same motif used by the Old Testament prophets, by David in the Psalms, and by Jesus in the Gospels. Paul is picking up the theme of of shepherding. Shepherding. Shepherding the people of God. The vocation of a shepherd was a simple one in the ancient Near East. A shepherd's task was a clear one. And on your outline, you might follow along there, the first simple task of a shepherd was to keep the sheep safe. Number one, to keep the sheep safe. Before he was king, David was a shepherd boy and he recounted to King Saul at the time about some of the dangers that he had encountered as a young shepherd boy. And he said to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, you don't need to turn there, but he said to Saul, he said, your servant, David, I I used to keep my father's sheep and when a lion or when a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck it, and I killed it. In David's day, 3,000 years ago, it was lions and bears from outside the flock that would come in and seek to destroy. Here in Acts 20, Paul uses another animal, a wolf. Now, some might say it's utterly insignificant, the kind of animal that Paul uses here to describe what he's talking about. Some would say that, and scholars are somewhat divided on this, some would say that the fact that Paul chose a wolf over and above a lion or a bear, as David chose, uh, was a rather insignificant matter. But there are also some reasons to suggest that Paul was quite intentional in using this kind of animal to describe what He was saying to the elders in Ephesus. For there was another individual who spoke of the very stealth nature of a wolf. Jesus spoke of a wolf. And in Matthew 7.15, on your outline there, Jesus said to His disciples and to those gathered at the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they, were, they are ravenous wolves. Jesus here was concerned about a group of people, false prophets in particular, whom he called wolves. Now we might typically think of a false prophet as someone whose their lies are, are readily apparent. When we think of false prophets, we think of somebody who's readily noticeable, who we can point to and say that's definitively someone who's teaching falsely. And in fact, that is the case for many false teachers. Sometimes they are very recognizable. But Jesus says here just the opposite. He says that these wolves that he's speaking of, these false prophets, that they'll come to you in sheep's clothing. And while we might typically think of a false prophet as someone who is readily apparent, Jesus says these will blend in with the sheep. They'll blend in with the flock. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing. They'll look like sheep. They'll act like sheep. Sometimes they'll even sound like sheep. Lions and bears, lions and bears, those are boisterous animals. You know when they're coming. Not so with a wolf. A wolf is stealth. A wolf is secret. He is crafty and cunning. He is patient. And will wait for just the right moment. To pounce on his prey. So why does Paul use the image of the wolf to describe the enemy of the church? Because you see, not only was Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders about enemies outside the church. He was also warning them about a kind of enemy that can arise from within. Let's read again in Acts 20, that same passage. This time giving particular emphasis on verse 30. Acts 20, 28-31. Therefore, Paul says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, after I go, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And pay attention to this, verse 30. Also, From among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. Paul says, Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things. Paul says that errors in doctrine, faulty counseling, misstatements in teaching, these are things that will not only come from outside the church, where we would expect them to come, he says they'll also come from within the church. They'll also come from those who look like sheep, but are really wolves. And so this is the first task of an elder of a wise man of God, it is to keep the sheep safe. The potential for danger is grave. And even strong Christians are not immune. He says later in verse 30, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Paul here is speaking about someone who is maturing in their faith. Not a novice. The potential for danger is great. And from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. The old axiom is true. Uh, that there is safety in numbers. And it's no coincidence that as Paul went from city to city, he appointed groups of elders in every city, in every church, because he knew that with a plurality of elders, there would be safety. Solomon spoke of, uh, of, a, of a safety in numbers on the back of your outline there. Proverbs 11:14, where there is no counsel the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Again in 24.6, For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's where the phrase came from. Is the words of Solomon there. The phrase, there is safety in numbers. The elders exist, as Paul understood it, to protect the flock. Collectively, they serve to ensure that the church remains faithful to God's Word. They serve as a check upon the pastor, upon the teachers, ensuring that the teaching and the counseling efforts of the church are biblically sound. And as they serve the church family, they also become to us an example of how we as men are to be protectors of our individual families. But you know, it's not enough to merely shield the church from danger. It's not enough to merely shield our families from danger. A shepherd must also, and this is number two on your outline, a shepherd must also guide the sheep to good pasture. A shepherd must also guide the sheep to good pasture. Just moments before Paul spoke these same words that we've just read, He gave the Ephesian elders another task. He told them to feed the sheep as He had fed the church of God. Let's read now a little bit earlier in Acts 20. Verses 20-27. to And I want you to pay close attention to every verb that Paul uses. Every action word. Take notice of it. Acts 20. 20-27. to We're picking it up halfway. He says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it all to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He goes on to say at the end of verse 23, He says, Chains and tribulations await Me. He knows... He's in for a rough road ahead. Verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the Gospel of God's grace. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the Kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Seven times in eight verses, Paul uses a similar verb. He says, I proclaimed to you, I taught you, I testified to you, I preached to you, I declared to you. Over and over and over again, Paul says, I spoke, I taught. I warned, I proclaimed, I testified, I preached, I declared. Repetition like this in Paul and in any uh, writing of Scripture deserves great attention. Paul's message is quite clear. We must not merely protect the people of God. We must feed and nourish the church. As I said earlier, men are, are, are... Men are real natural when it comes to protection. We're inclined to protect. We instinctively protect our families, our wives, our kids. And protection is vital. But protection, in and of itself, is a defensive measure. And anyone who plays sports knows that you cannot win on defense alone. You have to score to win the game. I hear I hear sportscasters and I hear coaches, and there's always this phrase that is often said on the television screen as you're watching a game. They say things like defense wins championships. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. Defense wins championships. I've heard that many times. I think I've said that before. I've subscribed to that before. You know what? It's not true. Defense doesn't win championships. Defense can protect a lead. Defense can can hold the score where it is. Defense can keep your opponent from harm. But you need offense to win. You need to score a goal to win. You need to make a touchdown to win. You must go on the offense to win. And without scoring a goal or running for a touchdown, you will not win. Defense alone does not win championships. The elders... The elders, as they're understood in the New Testament, godly men of the church, they must not merely shield the church from harm, but actively speak and teach the whole counsel of God. They must not only play defense, Paul says, but they must go on the offensive. They must be active in teaching, if they are so gifted, in counseling, in offering wisdom and guidance to those who need it. Wisdom that is grounded deeply in the Word of God. And so it is with the elders, so it is with fathers in their own respective homes. Elders are called to feed the church, to, uh, not merely to protect her, and as men, as fathers, we're also called to feed and nourish our families, not merely shield them. It's not as natural, I think, to a man. He knows how to shield. He knows how to defend. He knows how to protect. It's not as natural for a man to go on the offensive and to know how to feed spiritually, feed his family, spiritually nourish his wife, his children, his grandchildren. That doesn't come as natural, I believe, to a man. You think of uh, I think of a story of a man who, you know, he he had. He had totally lost his way in terms of, when he he walked into the kitchen, he didn't know where anything was, kind of like me. Don't know where anything is. I'm like, honey, where does this go? Where does this go? And this man, in this story, he, he he couldn't do anything in the kitchen. He couldn't cook. When he went to the grocery store, it was like he didn't know where he was. Well, sure enough, his wife became ill, and this man had to go to the grocery store. His wife had given him a list. You know, She had given him seven things. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And she had said, honey, go out and just bring home the grocery list here. here I've already outlined it for you. And so, feeling the, the need to help his, his poor, sick wife, he off he goes to the grocery store. And he comes home with, with bags of groceries. He puts it up on the counter. He's really proud of himself. And the wife says, okay, honey, let's see what you got. And he pulls it out and he says, look, honey, here's here's the list. I got it all. One bag of sugar, two dozen eggs, three hams, four boxes of detergent, five boxes of crackers, six eggplants, and I have seven green peppers for you. Men are not naturally inclined. (laughs) Wait for it to know how to feed, to know how to nourish. We're a little slow at that, guys. We're good at protection. Good at shielding. We'll rise up in defense quickly. But to be intent on offering a spiritual offense for our family, we're a little sluggish at times. Men, if you are not on offense, if you are not actively teaching, instructing, speaking to, and speaking with your wife, your kids, if you're not on spiritual offense, you're leaving a huge void, a huge void in your family's development. God holds us accountable for our home. He holds the elders accountable for our church. And so if we want to be right with God and stand before Him on the last day with confidence, then read again how Paul said to be innocent. Read it again in Acts 20, verse 26 and 27. Paul tells you how to stand before God with confidence. He says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul, how can you say that? This is how I can say it. Verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's how. That's how Paul could be confident before his church. That's how Paul could be confident before the elders at Ephesus. He could look them in the eye and say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, because I have been on offense, constantly speaking words of truth. Constantly speaking, words of hope, words of Christ, words of salvation, words of persevering in the faith, words of continuing on to win the race, to win that crown, to enjoy an inheritance in the life to come. Paul said, I can have confidence because I have not stopped going on the offensive. And that doesn't mean, men, that we're, we need to be needlessly aggressive. Uh, it doesn't mean, you, <laughs> you know, we it, the Bible's not asking us to sit the wife and the kids down and sit up there and just start preaching and wagging our finger. That's not what's going on here. It's to be a spiritual leader of the church as Christ leads the church. As Christ leads the body of Christ. So also men are the spiritual heads of their homes. And as Jesus loved and nurtured His bride, the church, so also we're to lovingly guide and nurture and feed our families. Not just defense, guys. Not just protection. Offense. You can't shun this responsibility. The elders of a church cannot shun the responsibility to protect... And to nourish. And fathers, you cannot shun this responsibility. You cannot leave it to mom to do by herself. You can't rely on a school, even a Christian school to do it. It won't work. You can't even rely on the church entirely because the church is here to support you and your family. The church is not responsible to raise your family. You are. And Jesus said that a good shepherd... A good shepherd does not outsource his responsibility. Look on your on the bottom of your outline John 10. Jesus wrote, Jesus spoke. He said, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and he scatters them. The hireling flees." because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. You cannot outsource this. Men, you cannot let go of the responsibility to shepherd your home. If you, if you, if you punt that responsibility out to a school, that school will, in the, at the end of the day, despite its best efforts, that school is a hireling and while many Christian schools will do the best they can to help raise your kids, it's a hireling. They don't, have, they, don't, they don't know all that is needed to raise your son, to raise your daughter. You do. You punt it out to a church. You rely strictly on the teaching that happens in Coast Kids Church. Or you rely strictly on the teaching that's going on now with Corey and the Trek. If you just rely strictly on that, you're punting it out. You're punting out your responsibility as a father to feed and to nourish your family. The church is here to support it, not to finish it. God has called men to speak and to teach and to lead in their homes. Your wife and your children, they desperately need that. Just as the church will also suffer if the elders do not feed and nourish the church in the Word of God. Two tasks. Keep the sheep safe. Protect the sheep. Keep, guide the sheep to good pasture. Feed the sheep. Nourish the sheep. This is God's plan for elders in the church. It's God's plan for fathers who lead their families. Men, we cannot just play defense, especially in this culture. Let us be intent on putting together a good biblical offensive game plan that we might win the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you, Father, have given us a pattern by which we can imitate. Your Son Jesus Christ went on the offensive. He started speaking and teaching and leading and nourishing all those with ears to hear. He didn't merely defend and protect. He also spoke words of truth. The people who heard him might be grounded in the faith. Lord, may that be the case for our elders here at Coast. I thank you for these men. I thank you for the times in which we've learned their fundamental task. You've given them two roles to defend Coast Bible Church from all attack, both from without and from within. And to nourish and feed the church through good teaching, wise counsel, careful, uh, prudent words. Thank you for the men, Lord, of the church, the elders. And I pray that their example would just pour out into the lives of the other young men and fathers and, and grandfathers, Lord. That we would all be men who not only protect our families, but spiritually feed them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.